Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 18 of the Trop Rock 101 podcast from Pirates and Poets. I am your host, John Burns, and it has been a long, long time since we talked. Uh, today's episode features J.D. Spradlin from Radio Margaritaville. I really enjoyed this interview, uh, enjoyed the conversation, and I think you will enjoy it as well. Uh, my conversation with J.D. was recorded in mid-October, and at that point, the plan was to release the episode in early November, right after we all got back from Key West. And then, uh, as many of you know, life happened. Um, I was one of many people who came back home and tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, I didn't really get sick personally, but I was very tired, uh, was pretty much worthless for a couple weeks. Um, and then right about the time that I started getting my energy back and was ready to get back in the saddle as far as the podcast and lots of other things, um, we got the very, very sad news that Bart Mason had passed away from COVID-19 complications. And that really just uh, it, it put all of our different uh, projects and endeavors uh, to a stop. We just we just quit doing everything for a little while while we process that. Um, so anyway, that's the reason that it's. Uh, now early December, and we're just now releasing an interview that was recorded in October. Uh, please keep Bart's wife, Michelle, and all of his family and friends in your thoughts. Um, Bart was a, uh, a great friend to Pirates and Poets, to myself and Daniel personally, uh, and we're going to miss him uh, so much. We will probably talk more about him in future episodes. Uh, but for now, I want to get back to uh, the interview with J.D. Spradlin, which is what this episode, episode number 18, is all about. Um, <clears throat> J.D. has been with Radio Margaritaville for over a decade. He broadcasts out of Orlando, uh, and at this point, he is probably the best friend that uh, up-and-coming independent trap rock artists have at Radio Margaritaville. Um, they, don't, they don't play as much independent music as they did uh, 10 or 15 years ago. But it's uh, it's you know still a really great thing uh, for our independent trap rock artists when they can get on Radio Margaritaville because they reach just a huge audience that is uh, that's already you know they're already primed and ready to uh, enjoy a good trap rock song. Uh, we cover a lot of ground in this interview, talk about all kinds of different stuff, and uh, I think that you guys will really enjoy it. I really enjoyed uh, spending this time with JD. Uh, you know, most of y'all. Most everyone, I bet, that listens to this has probably heard J.D. Spradlin on Radio Margaritaville. And you're probably used to hearing him in 30 and 60 second bursts when he when he talks uh, between songs on the radio. So this is your chance to hear him totally unleashed in a long form setting. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. Have as much as I did. Don't forget to visit us online, piratesandpoets.net. Uh, you can find the podcast on all the major podcast platforms. And uh, if you enjoyed this, please please share it with your friends. And uh, now, please enjoy my conversation with J.D. Spradlin. Wow. You, actually, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but um, I had a friend who um, was, I guess, into Buffett or at least had an album or two because I was just hanging out with her and doing something around her house or something. And she put it on. I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. So name recognition. I don't think anything jumped out at me. In particular, you know, it wasn't like, uh, hey, that's an amazing song, whatever. But it just simply had name recognition. And then um, I was back in college in Tallahassee and Jimmy was coming through town. It was on the, uh, I think it was uh, 82, what was that, um, somewhere over China tour, perhaps? Yeah, somewhere right in there. Yeah, so something like that. So um, 
my buddy was from uh from florida from miami and he kind of knew of buffett and i, I was like yeah I, you know I've, i don't own any albums or anything I'll, well let's go let's go to the show so we did and of course back then you could get floor seats like nobody's business and uh it was november 20th 1983 wow I, I i know that and it was sponsored by hold on hold on i'm gonna reach over here to my window windowsill hold on it was sponsored by two fingers tequila wow and this is the bottle we bought and consumed that night. The Didn't have the top. But wow. That's the actual bottle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I found, I put it up on Twitter somewhere. I, I found the original shirt and on the back, it says one particular Harbor tour. There was no one particular Harbor tour, but I think Jimmy was so the way I heard it, I think I was talking to Tom, might've been Corcoran probably. <laughs> he was like, Jimmy was so happy to have a sponsor that it was, I was like, great. So anyway, so we were, I remember we were on the floor, and the moment that strikes me is that was, if you remember, that was the year or the time span when Lord Buckley's grandson was suing Jimmy okay. uh, for, doing, for doing God's Own Drunk. So Jimmy was uh, not allowed to do that song in the show. And uh, he did this for several of the shows. Um, so I remember, I remember, I guess it was second break or something. I just remember when I opened my eyes and see it, he's sitting on the stage. Uh, with his guitar in his lap, and his, he, he goes to strum it, you know, and stops, crosses his arms, and, you go, and he he launches into a story. I'm not used to somebody talking to us. They're supposed to play music. Like, what the <laughs> hell? You know? Yeah. And he's, he tells a story. Uh, the grand, you know, grandson sues me, and this was the time in my show where I would do this great song, but I can't do anymore. So I had this f- hole in my show to fill. So uh, I had to do something. So I because uh, I was sued. I had to do something. So I gave out the lawyer's phone number and I got sued again. Can't do that anymore, <laughs> but they can't, but they can't stop me from writing a goddamn song. And he launches into the song, the lawyer and the asshole. Oh, and I went, I like this guy. <laughs> and I didn't own any Jimmy Buffett albums. So of course I had to have the forbidden song and it was on two albums at the time. I guess it still is. It was on 74's living and dying three quarter time. And then 78's, uh, you had to be there. Right. And I'm more of a studio guy. So my first Jimmy Buffett album, 74s, living, and it was the last cut on the second side, if you remember it, right? Yes. So no, I guess more, most people would flip the sucker over vinyl and put the needle on the last cut of the second side. But, you know, I'm a, I, was, I, think I might have been DJing by then. I don't know. So I was side one, track one. And that album was loaded, man. You know, remember Come Monday was on there. West Nashville Grand Ballroom Gown was on there and just wrangling, yes. wrangling. I'm mean, just loaded, loaded, loaded. So here it comes. I flip it over. I'm at the last song. It starts. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. But all that other shit was amazing. <laughs> so, you know, and so that was my first Jimmy Buffett album. Then I went back to 80 because it was the year 83. I went back and bought uh, one particular Harbor and then just started from there. And so I guess that was my, it's a long winded ass. Is the interview over? That was probably it right there by time. It's a, it's a podcast. We have no time limit. So, yeah. Wow. What's that like? <laughs> you get a minute to interview people. You get, wow, that's cool. Yeah. As long as, as long as, uh, as, as we want to go, we can go. So, so you, you mentioned that you, that you were getting started DJing uh, right about that same time. How did, how did you get into, into DJing? And um, very did simple. You, did uh, you go straight to radio or were you like a party bar DJ too? No, I, I, I started DJing because I wanted to bartend. Okay. And I had a buddy in college that was working at a bar. He was a, a host, a bouncer, whatever. I stood at the front, but there was a concept club called Studebakers back in the day. And we had one in Tallahassee. And, 
yeah, he said, I can get you a job. I said, great. I've always wanted to bartend. You just don't walk in and bartend. I knew nothing about bartending. So I had to work my way up and I started as a busser, you know, running. And this is a, this concept was fifties and sixties. Uh, the ceiling was 73, you know, Jackson five. And we played everything below that. It was very, the girls wore, uh, you know, cute little uh, cheerleading outfits and very oh, wow. slick back. So, yeah, it was very, very fifties and sixties, very themed. And uh, started busing, and then uh, a spot opened up. It was uh, so, I, but I was. It was a very animated kind of concept where we'd stop and do show times, where hand drive would come up, and everybody would just stop, drop, and do the hand drive, jump on tables, and we had floor routines, nonstop bop. We're the party until the party gets going, kind of thing. And I was pretty animated because I was working with kids, and I'm used to being animated. And they said, "Hey, you should probably do that up in the DJ booth." Well, I've never, I never DJ, and uh, <laughs> and they were all 45s. And if you know anything about DJing, a real DJ has a slip mat where they can hold the record and the platter spins, right? Right. So when you let go, it's right there. They didn't have, it was, a, it was just like you bought it out of the store, rubber mat, everything. And I started doing that and uh, having a ball. And they said, oh, a, a spot has opened up behind the bar. You have to start as a bar back. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's what I want to do. But that's, I don't know if you've ever bartended or worked at a bar, hospitality. Nope. nope. That's work, man. That is some serious work. And I was... Getting, I was having more fun up in the DJ booth. I was getting just as many, if not more, phone numbers. College, yeah. And um, so I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep DJing. And it went from there, and, and then people started, hey, do you do private parties? I bought some equipment. Worked with a company uh, they, that moved me down to Orlando. Uh, they had a concept, and uh, I, was, I was like the corporate trainer for all of the region and stuff. And then, of course, here's Disney, and then that moved to Disney, and I just kept DJing in that, and. Uh, yeah, that's that's how I started DJing, I guess. And so, then the radio. Yeah, how'd you make the, the radio, radio aspect? Yeah, <laughs> how did I get on radio? Um, while I was at Pleasure Island, which was a nighttime thing for for Disney, I would always end with a Buffett song, and because I was a fan, I don't call myself a parrot head because I I feel like we predate that sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, but I always ninety nine 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 percent of the time. I ended with a Buffett song and usually it wasn't the top five. It was usually a slower song and usually uh, obscure. Right. And my, my bartender at the time, and I knew this and the, my, my future ex-wife's uh, fellow waitress had gone <laughs> on in the music career. They had to do the draw the lines and they wound up with it, with staying with food and bev and wound up at Margaritaville and they were the GM and AGM of the cafe at universal and they knew this is a what uh 2006 they knew that margaret that uh, radio margaretville was going to come through and build a studio and they said hey jd you should throw your hat in the ring oh i've never done radio i didn't want to do radio because it's boring i like being in front of people i'm i'm a ham you know again yeah. i started working with kids and that's i like i was like ah, okay so uh i threw my hat in the ring and um got the gig and had to keep it long enough for me to learn how to do it so, so, so they wouldn't fire me. So I, I never realized this. Your first radio gig was Radio Margaritaville. Yeah, it's funny because people would come up to me and you, do you have you ever DJ? Have you ever DJed or? Um, no, I mean I've never DJed like at a bar or a club. I mean I've done some a, a little bit of internet DJing. You know. Okay. Minimal. Uh, I put, put it this way: you can t you can tell when somebody in your field is watching you do what they do. I don't care what job it is because you you kind of like. 
They just watch you. They're watching how you do it. They're comparing oh, yeah. what they do. You know, so when you're a DJ, man, you can always tell another DJ in the room. You just know, you know. Uh, <laughs> so it kind of turned into that thing where people would walk up to, to the cafe and Margarita and they'd say, well, how did you get this gig? I said, well, I could, are you, do you, are you a DJ? Because if you are, and I tell you, it'll piss you off. Because there's guys that go to school for it and this other and this other and that. And uh, I, I literally say I fell into it backwards. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. But I've, I've since done terrestrial radio. Um, but my first gig, yeah, was uh, almost 14 years ago on Radio Margaritaville. So did you, did you get in on while it was still internet-based or were you always serious? Uh, I've never been serious. <laughs> Bucket of fish. Uh, <laughs> no, when it was internet, it was just Steve. And uh, I think he brought Carson on at the time. And that, see, that was, uh, that was I'm, I'm trying to think, and I'm, I, I really am not good at dates and stuff. So You know who was, is good at dates? Google is. We're gonna, I'm going to Google it right now. <laughs> I think it was, not, I'm pretty sure it was, okay, it was, 90, it was 98. Jimmy had the idea. And have you talked to Coleman Sisson yet? I have not. He will tell you the story because he demand. But Jimmy wanted to do an, and actually, I don't want to tell his story. Big story short, <laughs> 2005 is when they went to Sirius. That's right, but it was it was a they were internet in '99 because the first the first time that Sirius at the time I mean first time Radio Margaritaville at the time went 24 seven was the same day that they did the uh, the grand opening of the Margaritaville Cafe in Orlando. Jimmy Buffett and the Reefers played two shows, one outside, one inside, um, and that was the first time they went 24 seven. It's still on the internet. Prior to that, it was this. It was basically steve and all they would all jimmy was using it for was to play his con he wanted to give away his concerts what artist wants to give away concerts you know but jimmy did and yeah. the other was filled by steve huntington making discs that repeated themselves uh, and that and then they decided to go full-time i think that's when they brought on carson matter of fact to this day if you go to the margaritaville cafe here in orlando second floor the bar when they did that uh everybody signed the you know before they laminated it Right. Everybody and there's Jimmy Buffett's signature and Carson's signature and Steve Huntington and you know all the people were around at that time in the bar and then they burned they took a burner and they burned it in, then they laminated yeah. it. Wow. So it went it went that was ninety nine and then we of course joined two oh seven with Sirius. I came on in oh seven and uh we went to XM, I think two years after that. And so you could hear it on both platforms. Man, that's just wild. I, mean, I just can't believe that you went from no radio experience to Sirius XM. Yeah, don't hold it. Don't hold it against me. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's just wild, man. So yeah, you know, yeah. So was I mean? You said you work with kids. So was DJing your full time job, or did you have a day job and DJed on the side, or? Um. Well, I was going to college and I put my myself through. So the DJing was, uh, you know, still again, I was still going to college. I was at Florida State, but I, I was working with kids. I was, and I was, I was in leisure services. Don't make fun of me. That's an actual thing. And uh, because I wanted to work with kids and I was in the YMCA program where I went to day camp as a kid and I was a, a swum, swim, 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 I was on the swim team <laughs> and then wound up at the day camp. Then you became a, a junior counselor and a counselor. And eventually I was a, an overnight, it was a YMCA's camp in Ian Springs. It was a summertime overnight program with a kid. We'd have them for two weeks or, you know, all summer sometimes. Yeah. And it, and you find yourself entertaining kids because if you don't entertain them, those little guys will mess stuff up. So you have to keep them busy. And I was the guy that would be, you know, jump up and get, get them singing or do something and games. And, and I wanted to do that. 
and I slowly realized as I was in it more and more that kids don't really make a lot of money and parents don't really like to spend money on kids. Um, and then when I started working in the nightclub, Sudebakers, I realized, you know, when, when adults drink, they become kids and they still want to be entertained. Yep. So to me, it was, a, I was the same muscle memory. I was using the same skills to entertain adults. Um, and when you're, and when you work with kids, you keep everything clean or at least above their heads so they can't understand it. And when you work with adults, it's more clever and more fun to be clever and fun. And that's, you know, you don't, you don't go here, you go, you go here, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, I think that's where the, the whole humor thing came out of, you know? I say, you know, you, my line is, you know, I, I don't, I can't stand when someone says a joke and then explains it just bothers me to me. It's like, okay. So my thing is if you, if you say a joke or something that's humorous, you're not trying to get everybody to laugh. It's like throwing a rock at a, at a lake. You're not going to hit the whole lake, but it's going to bounce on a few heads. <laughs> and if the humor is, if the humor is smart enough, it doesn't matter if they get the joke or not. Right. And that's how I would entertain myself with kids and drunk adults. Which you know, are very, you, very similar. <laughs> exactly and you can make fun of not that i would ever do this but you can make fun of kids and adults that are drinking especially without them even knowing it and they think you're your you're best friend not yep. that i would ever use those evil skills in my real life oh i've got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old i know exactly what you're talking you get about it? <laughs> <laughs> and some of the best cartoons do the same thing come right. on right the, the, you know the kids are screaming laughing and the parents are going oh my i can't believe they said that <laughs> So same day. I know it's a lot. I'm giving you a lot of long-winded answers. Hey, you think that, I talk like, for a living? Like I said, it's a it's a podcast. There, and there's no can, clock. You can edit me. <laughs> I, I can't edit you, but you know the the long stories is what people want to hear on these things. So you know, oh, they're okay. they're used to hearing you. Like you said, a minute here, a minute there. So this is your chance to go deep with folks. So deep. But I, I want to ask you this: You're, you're a Florida native, um, and I actually don't. I know a lot of people who live in Florida and very few of them are Florida natives. So I, ha I have to wonder, like as a Florida native, how did you look at Jimmy Buffett? Did, did it, did it feel like it was your music maybe more because a lot of it was about your home state and the lifestyle that everybody in Florida lives to a certain extent? Yeah, I see where you're going. Um, not so, not really. I think it's just, I think it's the same reason why when Jimmy Buffett opened a, uh, a, a restaurant in Hawaii, they didn't call it Margaritaville because Margaritaville doesn't, Hawaii doesn't need a Margaritaville because it's a, really a state of mind because you're in freaking Hawaii for God's yeah. sakes. Um, you really, it more, I think it sinks in more uh, the crappier the weather you live in, which is why there's amazing parrot head clubs up in Long Island and Cincinnati for God's sakes and where it's really cold because it's escapism that you need. For me, it was just, you know, beach music you know it's saint you know saint buffett or whatever uh yeah it's just it's i could relate to it i can relate to the stories and the places and of course the beach because you know i'm really from florida tallahassee is right under georgia so it's florida mm -hmm. um but we went to the my, my mom loved the beach and we would go to the beach all the time and i had grandparents and in west palm beach and melbourne so i was that's where i learned how to ride waves is in melbourne and we'd go to panama city beach and that's the gulf is just my favorite because it's just so awesome um, so I got that, but, but be, I don't think being a Floridian helped. If anything, it might hinder. They say, if you ever want anything thrown at you, uh, go to Key West with a convertible and Blair Buffett and locals will throw bottles at you. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of, I think, 
I think they have a love-hate relationship with Jimmy down there. Well, it, it's like I'm from, I grew up in Arkansas and it's that way with Bill Clinton, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. I get it, man. I get it. Yeah. Uh, makes so, perfect sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's interesting. I just, like I said, there's so few people that I know who are actually from Florida grew up there that it's, you know, interesting to me uh, that you look at it more as a lifestyle than escapism because it's where you live. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, I, I knew, I knew Jimmy didn't know him, but I, I you know, he wasn't a big deal to me. He was just, you know, to me, great example. I'm working at, I'm working at um, Pleasure Island. Me and another buddy had gone to a couple concerts of Jimmy. He came through town. I, we, back then, wait in line. We'd go. And he was coming through stumping for a, a politician. I think it was Lawton Childs or something. I don't remember, honestly. Don't hold me to it. But he was doing a rally because, I mean, Jimmy wanted to support the guy. But back then, you could only give like $500 legally. So what can I do for you, man? So we'll do a rally. So Jimmy Buffett did a concert in the parking lot of a bowling alley right off I drive. <laughs> and me and my, and no, no, there wasn't, Char, there was no Charleston, you know, it was just him. Yeah. And, you know, he did that playing guitar, take it reefers. Oh, I'm by myself, you know. Um, and we didn't even stay for the whole thing. And it was, you know, him to the that wall that it was not a big deal. Um, so, I, you know, so the whole my theory is when Jared Garcia died in 95, a lot of people needed somebody to grab onto. And that's when it kind of got uh, weird for Jimmy. Oh, before I, that, I think he was, uh, he was just a guy, you know? Yeah. I, I look at him. I still look at him. Sorry, Jimmy, if you're listening. <laughs> I, you know, it's like I have so many great, talented, um, so talented, you forget how talented, you know. Yeah. Our friends are so talented, you forget until you see him on stage. You know, the, the John Frenzies and the Tom Shepherds and the, the Donnie Brewers, just name name any of them. And they're just so cool to hang out with. And then you go, oh, crap, you're, I forgot you're talented. And that's the same way, you know, I don't know Jimmy. We don't, you know, hang out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm friends with a lot of the band, you know, but, uh, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy and I don't, don't pal around. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's kind of the same way, even with a lot of the core reefers. I've, I, I don't know that I would call any of them friends. Uh, I consider Brandon Mayer a friend, but I don't know if you consider him a core reefer or not. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I've, the next generation, the next generation. Yeah. Um, actually, and he's did, a great guy. Did you see that he announced today that he has a project with uh, one of Utley's son and uh, Max's daughter? Yeah, he reached out to me the other day and said, we're going to start playing it, I guess. It's a uh, it's. It's Brennan, it's a song you wrote with with uh, Michael Utley and Aaron McAnally. I don't know if I don't know if Mick has anything to do with it, but maybe I don't know. I didn't get the whole. Well, this was through just tweeting or something. Yeah, um, I'm excited to hear it because you know Aaron is a really good writer. I don't know if you know Aaron McAnally, uh, but no. uh, she she she's a good writer. Um, and then you know that uh, was a book on the shelf was written by Jimmy, Mick, and Aaron. So they have some experience there. And, you know, they oh. both got pretty darn good genes being Michael Utley and Mac McAnally's kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it because, you know, like you, like you alluded, uh, Brendan's the up and comer. But I, yeah. think, I think what you're getting to is, yeah, the core reefers, when you meet them, they, they talk, unless you're weird, yeah. you know, um, they'll treat you like humans and they're the sweetest, you know, I don't know. N try to find somebody nicer than a Mac McAnally or a Peter Mayer. Um, you yeah. just can't, you, or Jim Mayer, you know, any of them. Yeah. And then they um, hit stage and you're like, oh shit, I forgot well, that you're right. like, yeah, that you're a legend. They're talented. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So, so that's a, a long winded answer to, you know, that to me, that's what Jimmy is. He's, uh, he's just somebody I feel like, well, that's how, when I meet people that have met Jimmy, 
I always ask, they tell me their stories and I love hearing them because they like to share. And I, sometimes I guess they feel like I'm the point of the spirit or something. You probably get some of this too. And they'll tell the stories and I'll listen. I love it. And then I always ask them at the end, what was your takeaway? And you probably can guess. Have you met Jimmy? No, never have. Okay. The takeaway, not verbatim, but damn close is he's exactly how I thought he would be. Huh? Everybody. And, and, you know, and, every- and in celebrity hero type situations, that is not always the case. Well, I, I, there was one guy that said, oh, he was, a, he was a complete jerk. I said, whoa, 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 time out. Did you knock on his front door? No, that would be mean. Did you bother him at dinner? Well, he was between courses. Time out. No, no. You, yeah. you crossed the line. You, 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 know, you wouldn't do that. Why would you do that? You know? mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, unless you scare him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? but, but, you know, I mean, in some ways, walking up to somebody when they're having dinner, it, it may not outright scare them, but it's a violation of privacy yeah, and you space. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. especially people that give so much in their uh, person in their private life, uh, their, their professional life. You know, you're stepping on their time now. You know, yeah. Um, but that's that's what makes Jimmy so approachable because everybody feels they know him. And according to all most of the people I've talked to that have met him, they're they're damn close. You know? Yeah. No, never met him. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I ever that I really have any desire to meet him or Bruce Springsteen's my God. I don't think I ever want to meet Bruce. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't I don't feel the need to. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, maybe I don't want the bubble burst. You know, I, I could be yeah. the guy that catches Jimmy or Bruce or whoever at the exact wrong moment, you know? So yeah. And that yeah. would ruin it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I had a, a backstage pass years ago cause people knew that I was, uh, you know, I liked the guy. This is back in the early nineties, I guess. Hey, I got a backstage thing for Jimmy. You want it? And I was like, no, I don't want, I didn't want to be another handshake. Yeah. You know, even I didn't even know if he was meeting with people back then. I, I don't even know. I didn't never try it. Um, I was, you know, I, I wanted a situation where he wanted to meet me and I was, First day, I was with a company at the studio, and we, we hadn't started doing shows yet from Orlando, and Savannah Jane was doing her Savannah, for those who've listened to Radio Margaret for a long time, she had a Savannah Daydreaming Hour, where mm-hmm. she would interview people and, and just play really eclectic, but cool stuff, nothing we'd play on the channel usually, but she would introduce a lot of artists to our listeners, and some of them got on eventually, you know, kind of thing, but she interviewed her dad from the, from the brand new studio at the cafe, before we were using it and everybody was, you know, sphincter because they knew that Savannah was going to be inter- interviewing her dad. And uh, sure enough, Coleman tapped me on the shoulder and said, Jimmy's going to want to meet you. I'm like, uh, okay, cool. You know? And that's how I met Jimmy for the first time. And I was actually more nervous to meet Savannah. Really? Yeah, well, you don't, you, yeah. you don't want to piss daddy's daughter off. That's not a good way to. It was, it was, it was more like, I had already put Savannah kind of on a pedestal because when I was in college, I was taking a, a child psych class and had to do a paper on cogn- ch- children's cognitive abilities. And I had to interview kids of different ages and ask them things to see how they were thinking. And I, because I was, a, you know, was listening to Buffett's music, I started the paper like, as Jimmy Buffett, singer-songwriter Jimmy Buffett said in a song, uh, Little Miss Magic, what are you going to be? So I had already used her because of her song. Right. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to come off. And I was so nervous when I met her. You know, she was so sweet, of course. But uh, she, she I introduced her and uh, we introduced each other to each other. And uh, she paused for a second and said, huh, JD, like my granddad. Ah. And, and I said, uh, well, yeah, or, you know, something, something like I, I knew what I knew exactly. Well, of course, or something weird. 
And I was like, oh my God, I sound like a stalker, you know? Yeah. Because I, you know, and I was like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, and my brain was like firing off like, ah, run, run. <laughs> I think I came, I think I came out with something like, a, but mine stands for John David. And she was like, oh, okay. And I was like, crisis averted, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I, I suddenly felt like a stalker and it was really not, it was icky, just icky. So you've mentioned Coleman a couple of times. Um, and I, I know the gist of the story, but that's it. I bet a lot of people don't even know who it is that you're talking about. So give the quick, explain who Coleman is and his role in Radio Margaritaville. 101. Um, uh, it's really his story to tell, man, but I'll, I'll give you the synopsis. Uh, Coleman Sisson was working uh, probably a six salary figure for some, probably IBM or something. I don't even know the right. He was working for a computer group. And he was working his way up because he just gotten hired, I guess. And uh, Jimmy Buffett was writing uh, Where's Joe Merchant, I believe. And like a lot of people, especially back then, computers were able to cra- they were easily crashable. And Jimmy, while writing it, his computer crashed and he lost his book. So Jimmy did exactly what everybody would do, except probably with more expletives, called the company and, rah, 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 rah. and some yeah. little intern was like, uh, Mr. Sisson. There's a guy on the line that says he's Jimmy Buffett, you know, okay. So Coleman called him back and immediately knew it was Jimmy. And now, now, Jimmy, don't worry. We'll, we'll save your book. He's from Houston. That's my best Houston accent. And that's what Coleman actually sounds like. But don't tell him I said that. So <laughs> Coleman flew from Houston to West Palm Beach where Jimmy was, of course, saved the book. And Jimmy said, uh, you're working for me now. Oh, okay. So that's how. And Coleman, obviously, is an IT guy and he knows all that kind of stuff and jimmy loves technology uh he's of course he's a unbelievable businessman right kind of thing and uh so coleman was on board and anytime jimmy wanted to do something he went to coleman like coleman tells a story he's jimmy's singing somewhere he said hey next show we're doing we're gonna broadcast it on the internet hey coleman make that happen <laughs> okay jimmy <laughs> you know so that's how it kind of all happened. And, and Coleman tells a story that Jimmy calls him up one day and says, Hey, Coleman, I need you to get your ass down to Key West. There's a radio station. I want to buy it. And, and Coleman's like, nah, nah, you don't want to, you don't want to go to, you won't be on the radio. Cause you can't say shit. You want to be on the internet. That's what you need to do. So that's how kind of radio Margaritaville happened. Interesting. You do a yeah, really good Texas accent, by the way. I can tell you that. I just have to picture his picture Coleman's head. And by the way, Coleman's another. He's he's another one of those really cool guys that like Jimmy likes. He's a straight shooter. And he you know, you you don't want to piss him off. It's like, you know, but he's so smart and such a good guy. You know, all of Jimmy's people, he surrounds himself, you know. I I, I um, want to talk to this guy then. You need to. He's a, he's a, he's a great dude. Yeah, because he, he's busy. He's, I mean, he's responsible for Radio Margaritaville, and then Radio Margaritaville is responsible for Radio Trap Rock, Radio A1A. You know, there's there's that line there that runs through all yeah. of it. So he's he's a pretty important guy in in our community. He he's yeah he's he's the man, um, and he, you know he gets he gets stuff done, and he's always doing more. Jimmy will call him with an idea, and Coleman will be the guy that has to make it happen and makes it happen. You know and. He's got some. He's got some really good stories. Uh, uh, he's he's a good dude. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to. Uh, I got to talk to him sometime. Yeah, so. yeah good luck getting the time. <laughs> I bet. He's, as you can imagine, uh, he's very busy. Yeah. So uh, I want to. You've been with Radio Margaritaville for a long time, and uh, I just kind of want you to take us through the years. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been listening to Radio Margaritaville uh, 
I, I actually remember listening to it when it's still on the radio. Uh, it's still on the internet. Um, when I went when I went to college, it was the first time I ever like had access to like broadband internet. You know. Oh wow. Okay. And uh, and I just remember like I've heard of Radio Margaritaville. Let me look it up now that I have fast internet. And boom, I remember listening to it. That would have been. 21 years ago now i guess so <laughs> i remember i remember tuning in for the concerts because you know i've always been the music is the music but i've always been a fan of the stories and i love the fact that jimmy tells stories that's how obviously i told you the story how that got me on board which is why i love mac and he, peter even you know the guys who can tell a good story yeah um yes i don't i don't really know that much about the early days because i wasn't really a, a part of it well, i mean from from the time you got on so it, during your time okay that, well that was 07 um and we we're still at the cafe and you know most you got a nice studio i finally have a nice studio now but imagine doing your show in a restaurant plates no no soundproofing it was an open air if you've ever seen the i call it the parrot perch how, how similar was that to the setup in new orleans um, we actually ha- had doors. I don't think you guys had doors. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I was in the. It was what? the Chickamauga that was up above. It, yeah, the Chickamauga, Chickamauga, whatever. Yeah. The, the, the nose of it. Uh, this was a, a ten by ten maybe uh, studio. And if I if I planted my feet and leaned, I could touch both walls. It wasn't big. The board took up the desk. Um, but it was definitely open air and, you know, plates falling and kids screaming and, you know, you're in, you know, this, you DJ, you have your headphones on, you're talking and a head pops up like one of those meerkats out of the (laughs) hole in the desert. Hey, 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 you know, I'm doing something here, you know? Um, so the, and then the volcano, we have a volcano effect, a 10 minute at the bottom of the hour where the song volcano, you know, uh, the song volcano starts as a rumble, the volcano explodes and lava comes down the side into the blender, um, and then the song Margaritaville plays. And that's a, like an eight-minute, nine-minute thing that happens at the bottom of every hour. Oh, wow. So, yeah, ask me which Jimmy song I really don't want to hear very often. I, Volcano, I bet. Yeah, yeah I yeah, bet. Pretty much, pretty much. Because <laughs> I heard it for 13 years at the bottom of every hour. Um, but I love Keith Sykes, so it's a mix. It's a love-hate. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Um, the weird thing is, I, I, like, I'd be doing a – and I have people, friends stop by – because we have friends and frenzy would stop by from time to time and a bunch of people come through town and I have had three microphones and I could put one on their, their sound hole, which sounds dirtier than it is. Um, put another ones they could sing, you know, sing into mm-hmm. and, you know, and they play, and I had, if I had like the detentions or two group, they both had to play their guitars, like a stand up bass because there was no room, you know, they're strumming it side to side and sharing mics. And I was, I, think, I was doing frenzy one time and uh, the volcano went off right in the middle. I was like, ah, oh, you, Dummy, why would you start an interview and you know the volcano? Because you couldn't stop it. No. Yeah, so it's, it wasn't the ideal situation. Now we've got a beautiful studio with soundproofing and stuff like that. And I'd, I'd have guests come up and ask for, oh, can you play Baby's Got Back or something? I'm like, uh, I'm on the radio. No, you're not. It's a, you're in a theme park. It's, it's fake. The, the plane, the, hemis- the actual hemisphere dancers out there. People right. would think, oh, it's a prop because it's, it's, a, it's a theme park. No, I'm really on the air and that's really Jimmy's plane. Now, excuse me, I have a show to do, kind of thing, and I can't, I can't play your request. Sorry, you know. Yeah. So, how times. long you been, how long you been in that new studio? It, uh, three, two years, January. Hold on, I got to look at today's show. Today was the four hundred and eighty ninth show from the studio. <laughs> so, wow, January of to, this year, this January will be two years. Yeah, and you, you've had a couple of my buddies in there. I know you've had Donnie in there. Yeah. And, 
Yeah. Right. This is amazing. Cause I mean, before when you had guys, you know, sharing microphones and playing the guitar in weird angles, I have a band snake that has eight plugs in and four headphones out. And it goes to a separate, you know, this is amazing board um, goes, it has its own channel. I can EQ everything I can put, you know, effects on it and everything. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if it's hooked up here. Yeah. Hey, I can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, I can make them sound good. And, uh, Literally, so I could have so eight, so I could have four performers singing and playing something, and they have their own headphones, and I can EQ the whole thing. Nice. So yeah, and it's you know sound soundproofing. You know, I don't see if you can see the walls. So if you can turn, so you know the walls are sound covered. Yeah. Uh, you know, our double pane argon glass, that kind of thing. I mean, if a if somebody comes by and revs your engine, you might be able to hear it, kind of thing. Nice. So it's it's a yeah, it's it's, it's a far cry from a cafeteria. Right. So, and how, how close are you to the cafe now? Uh, I, I live two miles from here on nice days. I can bike in where before I'd have to go, if you know the area, down 27 toward Kissimmee, get on I-4, go 20 miles, 23 miles away. And when the kids are out of school and the, everybody's here in Orlando, it could take an hour to get to and from work. Oh, uh, so you're a lot closer to your home now than you were? Again, uh, it's about three miles from here. Wow. Okay, yeah, so your so it's your studio good. now though is nowhere near the the cafe then. It's about twenty miles away. Yeah. Twenty miles. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah, because the the cafe is still at Universal, the City Walk area, and this is I'm out in front. I'm not actually in the resort. If you go to Nashville when you can finally travel safely or whatever, yeah. uh, Nashville Resort has a studio in the lobby. That's where Jasmine Cherie does her show, and it's in the lobby, um, behind glass and everything else. Yeah. Where I am down, I'm looking out my back window and I can see the resort behind me. Gotcha. But we're, we're kind of down on the front side, a standalone building by itself. Okay, I got you. And uh, I would like to for you to talk for a minute or two each about a couple guys that I think were pretty important in the uh, <laughs> Radio Margaritaville story and uh, are pretty okay. important guys you know, in, in the trop rock world as well. And that is Steve Huntington and the late Carson Cooper. Oh man, Profe if pro one word professional. I they were, but they, I got. I mean, you kind of had me mixed it as far as uh, past and present because, of course, we lost Carson a couple of years ago. Uh, he was our morning guy for a long time. He was the first guy that Steve brought on. Um, I don't know if you know Carson was also an NPR. So he was. He was. I didn't a, know that until he passed away. Actually, that's. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he, but he had he had that serious side and then a twinkle in his eye because he would you know you know childish and um you know, had he had his own kids and so he he knew how to play and his facts were on because he'd always study and uh, so he was he, he was a constant professional and when, even when he was sick uh he would you know, we didn't know he was very private um and he would take some time off and then come back and then take some more time off and come back a little you know it was one of those things so it was you know we he kind of blindsided when, when we lost him I was at the show in Jones Beach when uh, Jimmy did a, a nice tribute to him. It's really sweet. Put his, you know, jumbotron or whatever they call it these days, <laughs> and uh, said a nice thank you to to Carson. Yeah, he I got to uh, I got to spend a little bit of time with Carson over the years because he would come oh, to New Orleans for part New of Orleans, Yeah, yeah. You got, he'd do he do the six. He was a big he was a big part of the six string music festival. Mm -hmm. for you. I was so jealous of that because so, I was like, Carson needs some help. I'll carry your bags. I'll carry your bags. He did actually. Uh, he produced for me one time. We were doing the Lucky Rita. What year was that? Uh, Finland. So 2011. They were, they, the cafe in, in New Orleans 
Vegas, <laughs> was opening the first casino, and they were attempting to break the Guinness Book of Records for the world's largest margarita. Did so, 8,500 gallons. Woo. And uh, yeah, so I, I was live um, right there stage side by the lucky, and Jimmy was going to show up, and he did with the, the Wounded Warriors, which he, you know, they did a big toast thing. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And uh, Carson, was, he produced, well, I thought, why is, why is he producing? But he, was, he went out and, and wrangled um, the Mayer Brothers. And they, we really didn't know each other back then because, you know, Peter and Jim. Jim knew, I think I, Jim would recognize me, but Peter is on his own planet, and that's a compliment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he really, didn't, he really didn't, you know, know me that well. But they trusted me and they, because of Carson. They brought him over and uh, had a great interview with him right there on the stage side. And it was really cool because at the end of it, I knew I was going to do it, but it was back when um, Ralph McDonald was, uh, was, wasn't feeling well. He was sick. Right. Right. Yeah. And, 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 uh, um, just blacked out. Sorry. I'm easily distracted and I should probably close that window. Charleston came up and said, uh, and he's, he was really good friends with Ralph percussionist for Jimmy right. forever. Kind of thing. Charleston is Jimmy's bodyguard bodyguard. Yeah. Can't miss Charleston. Um, uh, <laughs> but he came over and it's like, Hey, um, I know Ralph's listening. And so I said to the Mayer brothers at the end of the interview, I said, hey, by the way, Ralph is listening. Would you guys like to say anything to him? And they, were, they just were the consummate Mayer brothers. They both were so sweet and so giving and just giving him great you know, stuff. And uh, afterward, I had a friend who was with Grace and, and his wife, Ralph's wife. And I said, hey, you want to talk to, you want to, talk to Ralph? I was like, yeah, man, put him on. I had interviewed him before and I'd met him and stuff. And I was like, hey, Ralph, how you doing? His voice is really weak. And he's like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing good, J.D. I said, hey, did you hear it? The, did you hear Peter and Jim, you know, do a, give you some, some love? He said, no, I was too tired. I fell asleep. I was like, oh, man. So I, I pulled, I, back then it was harder to do, but I pulled their break and sent it to him so he could hear it. Yeah. And uh, I was down in Key West and passed by Peter, didn't expect him to recognize me. He turned me around, surprisingly, said, hey, by the way, that, thank you for doing what you did for Ralph like oh yeah cool night meet and that's probably the first time that peter and i actually made a connection you know yeah so that's a nice that's a nice story and they are the mayors are are, uh i haven't spent much time with jim but i've I've gotten to work a few gigs with peter now and one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet and uh and his son going back to brendan his son is a is a compliment to peter you know Brennan should be a a spoiled little shit thinking everything should be handed to him, but that's not him at all, you know. So, well, from what I understand, the mayor's dad. Have you have you had a chance to to watch or listen to the at home with the coral reefers, which uh, Aaron Aaron and Mick earlier they're interviewing, like, yeah. like Delaney's interviewing her dad, Jimmy. Um, they're interviewing the rest of the coral reefers, and the Peter Mayor one is fantastic. They're, they're all really good. I have to look yeah, it up. Peter now. talks. Yeah, Peter talks about their dad, and he was like this, and he was like you know a missionary and you know preacher, and they were over in India. That's why Peter's daughter's named India, mm-hmm. and so he was he was a driver, you know. But uh, I don't think they would let them get away with anything, and I'm sure that trickles down to Brendan, you know. Yeah, which is I, good. I, I told Brendan one time uh, we were hanging out somewhere, and I'd had enough to drink, and I was like, you know. <laughs> You should be an ass. I think I said something like, you should just be an asshole. And he was like, what do you mean? Oh, <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, good guys. They are. So anyway, back back to uh, back to Radio Margaritaville. Uh, Steve Huntington. 
Oh, sorry, I get distracted easily. Oh, and I'm, it's okay. As I'm waving, as I'm waving to a gentleman in a in a Winnie the Pooh mask with his son. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're, you're working, Steve Huntington again, uh, true professional. He's uh, he, he was our program director when I when I hi now it's his kid, cute kid. Um, <laughs> sorry, squirrel. Uh, Steve was our pr- program director when I came on, and uh, he's the one that uh, helped me, pulled me along. And you know, I don't know if he was defending for me, but uh, it's like the first meeting of the minds. Maybe it was the second one. We were remember okay. So remember at the cafe down in uh, Key West, there was a the Krauss building, the second floor, right? When they do the parade and all the stuff, we could go up there and, and have bird's eye view, balcony seats for whoever was performing in the street. Mm-hmm. We throw beads at everybody and stuff. So we're back there, and Steve had had a few wines, and he was like. Yeah, it was touch and go there for a while, JD, but we kept you on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you realize you probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying I, I wasn't brilliant. I'm not saying I'm brilliant now, but I definitely wasn't brilliant back in the day. So, you know, I, again, I got the gig and then had to learn how to do it before they fired me. And, you know, Steve I, was the guy that, that was patient and brought me on. And, and yeah. if I need any, if I have any, if I need any information, he's my first call. Because he's an encyclopedia. Because cool. he was there in the day, and you know he was brought on obviously by by Jimmy. It was Jimmy. It was Jimmy's first. Pit. Well, I, th- I think he went. He tried to get Tom Corcoran to be his first DJ. And <laughs> that said, because you know Tom was a DJ back in the day, and of yeah. course Key West days. And I'm sure everybody knows this. Tom co-wrote Fins and Cuban Crime with Jimmy. They had a selection connection. So and t- Tom said, "What's it pay? I don't. Th- well, how much? No, I don't think so. Yeah. So." Jimmy had met Steve at a baseball event, softball event, and uh, Steve was working at LOQ here in Orlando, a jazz station, and uh, asked Steve to be his first DJ, and, and you know the rest is history. Hey, y'all. This is Kitty Stedman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. Well, I want to kind of move away from Radio Margaritaville now because you, uh, you, uh, and and I guess you know Carson and Steve uh, uh, kind of started this with their interactions with the the independent artists mm-hmm. that play the different Parrot Head events and and now Trap Rock events. Um, but you've kind of I guess so you're kind of the second generation of these Radio Margaritaville interacting with the with the uh, Trap Rock community. So talk about some of the stuff you've done. I know you you attend a few events every year. Uh, host and MC and and you you've gotten yeah. to know a lot of the artists pretty well. Yeah, um, I, it's it, they. It's kind of an acronym. I don't know if that would really be the right word. Um, usually, it's hard to find somebody who can do radio that can be in front of people because radio guys like to be you know in their own space. So they're usually not great on stage. So and that I come from a stage background. So you know, it comes very easy to me. So I, I like hosting events and stuff and meeting the minds and other things. And then the company will ask me to go do ribbon cuttings at different events. And sometimes we'll be, you know, fr- our friends playing, of course, there's meeting of the minds. Uh, that was the first, I guess, first time I started meeting people besides the ones that live locally, like John frenzy and I w- were already on the way to being good friends. And, and, uh, James white, uh, I knew, um, 
but it was it was meeting in the minds that really uh, introduced me to a lot more people, you know, because you know people people came up and introduced themselves and they were so sweet. I, then I started doing my show live from down there and got a chance to interview everybody. And that's how you know I got a chance to meet Keith Sykes and um, started meeting the old older original core reefers, you know, Roger Bartlett and right. those guys from in the day. And uh, was it Jay, Jay Oliver? I got a chance to meet Jay Oliver at the other was it last year. And he was my first Peter Mayer. He was he was the guitar player when I first started watching Jimmy. He would, uh, you know, uh, house left, stage right, in the in the white overalls. Was no, it wasn't Jay Oliver. Who am I? Oh shit, who am I thinking of? Jay was. Uh, now you're talking about uh, Leo. He's he's connected to Leo. Uh, Josh Leo. Yeah, he's connected to. Oh God, I've gone blank. The band out of Nashville. Yeah, uh, I see, and I just I just told a great story about the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah so you know obviously high south he's connected to high south thank yeah. you yeah oh my god those guys don't get me started on those guys fantastic anyway so yeah so it's through those connections and then um different artists started asking me to host their events and you know that's how i got out to the lone star luau with tom and, and coley and stuff like that. and then again you're working with more people and um and people would come through here and i get to meet them and interview them and let them play for us and stuff like that that answer your question? That was really again, yeah. A week long, uh, bad bad answer to that one. We're just we're just talking and sharing stories here. So, uh, um, what is here's here's the million dollar question? What is the best route for an independent artist to go if they want to get played on radio, Margaritaville specifically, but even Sirius XM in general? Oh, um, everything always goes through the program directors because they're the ones that. The boss's call, <laughs> you know, so, if, yeah. um, so that would be these days, that would be Kirsten and she's out of Nashville. Um, so she's, she's the one that decides who gets on our station and um, how they get programmed through the day. So that's, that's the, that, that burden falls on her. And I'm really kind of happy it does. I'm glad I don't have to make that decision because there's so many, people out there that are so talented and especially when you start knowing them and, and loving them like a, like a friend, you really want to play their stuff and, you know, get them as much ex exposure as possible. But if, if up and coming artists, uh, Jimmy always tells them, get on stage and play and play and play and play and play and play and play. Let people hear you. And that's several of the artists we're playing now. Kirsten saw it like South, South by Southwest in Austin or now living where she lived with her future yeah. husband. And, uh, of course, Nashville now. So you, when you can see an artist live, it, it just brings it alive to you and for you. When you see somebody, you can actually perform and uh, carry a crowd and then, of course, back it up with music. Um, I mean, I think that's how the detentions got, got on. You know, I uh, think she, she saw them in Austin. and po Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Um, and then again, that, you know, those guys are fantastic as well. And too oh, bad yeah. they're jerks. Oh, man. Dan, yeah. Dan and Chris. Yeah, I got to spend uh, some time with them this past weekend, and it was. Oh, like, you! Uh, I'm so jealous. First time I'd seen them in about seven or eight months, you know, since the oh, pandemic started. And uh, Chris was in rare form, let me tell you. I was going to say, whose turn was it to get trash? Because they take turns. It, it was. I've seen, them, I've seen them both blotto, but they 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 time it so they can at least take care of each other. You know, yeah. kind of thing. I live about a, a quarter mile from where they played that night, and Chris sat right here at this <laughs> table and drank half a <laughs> bottle of Maker's Mark before we ever yep. left to go to the gig. So yeah, he and I, he and I both like the brown. We uh, we we like our bourbons. <laughs> As I'm proud to say, I've shared glasses with both of them. They're really great guys. 
Yeah, they um, are great guys. It's hard so. pressed to find somebody who's not cool in in our industry. You know. Yeah, we we are lucky that this community is full of really great people and a lot of really great artists. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, for sure, we're, we're lucky for sure. Hey, I want to ask you. I'm, well, I just got to say, while, while I'm thinking about, it, I just feel I mean, you know, my heart goes out to these guys um, because their, their livelihood, just like so many other professions, took such a gut punch with all that's going on. And so, you know, they make money. They can't make money because crowds can't gather. And, you know, of course, there's the virtual concerts and stuff that they're trying to do. But you got to you got to feel for them financially. And then when you're a performer, you want to perform. You get your you draw your energy from crowds and people. And to, to not be able to do that is just I just feel my heart goes out to them, you know. Yeah. You know, when the pandemic hit, uh, people like Donnie Brewer, people like uh, the ladies from Drop Dead Dangerous, you know, they make all their money as performing musicians. Yeah. So they, they, they hit the uh, virtual shows immediately. Sonny Jim did that. But then then some of the guys like Jerry Diaz or Dan and Chris that had day jobs, they, when it first started, those guys didn't do online shows because they didn't want to take take away take away from the, the full-timers. Right. And, and at that and point, I think... Ad, very ad, admirable. Admirable. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, and I think back then we were all under the naive impression that it was going to be a month or six weeks and it was going to be over, you know. But uh, after... Had that work out for us. Had that right, work out for us. Not well at all. But, but after, a, after a few weeks, those, those guys like Jerry and Dan and Chris were like, okay, I haven't played a gig in three weeks. I'm getting on this live stream too. You know, it's like... It was very interesting to see that transition from we don't want to take attention away from the people who really need it to screw it. I got to play for somebody, you know, it's so. it's the performers need to perform. You know, it's in their blood. There's a reason they're good at it and a reason they do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you, you want to, and, when it's, and then again to perform for it's like like the reason I didn't want to do radio in the beginning because I, I wanted an audience, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. So. And and now you have an audience. You have people who know you all. I mean, you have fans, fans of JD Spradlin all over the country. So, yeah, that's hard for me to put my head around. I had, I actually, I actually, uh, what was that? A, a nice couple came up to the booth, and they were so sweet. And this is when I first started. Oh, we're such big fans of yours. I was like, No, you're not. What? I was like, you know, because I just didn't grasp it. You know, I was like, no, you're 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 fa you're fans of Jimmy, and I'm proud to carry his his flag. And they were like, no, um, we're kind of here. And they kind of, I was like, oh my god, I was such a jerk. But I didn't mean to be. I just yeah. didn't grasp the fact that you know I just don't see myself that way. You know, nine times out of ten, I'll if I'm having a good show, I'll turn off the mic and just literally say out loud, I I really should start taking this more seriously. <laughs> because I just I, I, I mean I do it's, I'm very serious about my job but I yeah you know yeah I, I get it and I understand it's an interesting thing when, when Earl and I first started podcasting in 2014 after about six months or a year you know we were somewhere and somebody walks up and they go you're John Burns and I was like in my head I'm like yes and why do you know that because I don't know who the hell you are <laughs> You know, and they were like, I listened to your podcast and, and I had the, you know, same thing. I was like, don't you have anything better to do with your time and listen to me run my mouth <laughs> on a iPod? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's, 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 it's nice a weird stuff. concept, but you know, then you got to realize you're doing a service and, uh, you know, especially if you have interesting guests, I mean, 
you know, I guess you had an off bye week this week, but when you have interesting guests, people want to know, you know, they want to hear about these performers. Um, I had somebody, I had somebody else ask me to do a podcast with them and they, they normally talk to uh, performers and I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't really think I have anything to offer. So I politely decline, you know, cause they want to talk about other stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't well, know. you know, we interview a lot of musicians on here, but uh, we also interview people like you who are, you know, members of the community just off stage, contributing members just off stage. So, and you're yeah, kind of, I, I mean, radio people are kind of, their stage looks different, but you're still kind of on a stage of, of a certain kind. So, I, I, but I really enjoy John. I love getting out on stage because it's, it's just fun. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, and when, especially when you can, you can introduce, there's nothing worse than a, a, a performer going out and just starting to play. You know, they should be introduced. Right. I, I was doing a show a bit early off and it was uh, somewhere. Um, Doyle Gresham's wife was, uh, was uh, acting as a manager and she got me this gig. Debbie got me, the, I don't know if you know Debbie. Mm -hmm. She got me this really cool gig. It was Doyle, you know, her Doyle and then Peter and Jim. And I'm, that's when I met Brendan. He, I think he was like 19 and he played out in the parking lot under a tent while his dad <laughs> played inside. So I DJed out there for, and met him and he was so cute. <laughs> and then we came inside and Jim, if Jim Mayer is just one of those guys who just say, hey, okay, you're doing the, yeah. he's like, Jim is like an embodiment of a Muppet. And I'd say that to his face as a compliment. And so he just started talking. I'm like, I'm like across the room. I was like, Jim, no, that's my job. I'm supposed to, inter I introduce you. And he was like, Oh, cool. You know, <laughs> I think people need to be brought on. You know, yes. that's what a stage is. You bring them on. And that's, I, I believe in being a host, doing it, get it out of the way and let the performers perform, you know, to say, by the way, pay attention now. Something, something cool is about to happen, you know? Right. It's, that's one of my, I do a lot of things, but in my heart, I think of myself as an event guy, a person who makes events happen, you know, and but you, but, you org but you org your skill is so good. You know, I mean, you organize them and you take care of the artists and you make them feel you're so great backstage. I mean, the stuff you yeah. do, like, at, Thank you. you know, the way you, the way you work your butt off at, at, at Tom and Coley's thing. I mean, yeah, you I don't know how they do. I don't know how they do it without you. Honestly, God. Well, we've done Danielle and I've done, we didn't do the first one, but we've done all of them since then. So we have a lot of fun with it. So, but, yeah. but what I was saying was the, the, the bringing up the artist, the introduction, I agree with you. It, it just makes me crazy when <laughs> either the either the artist doesn't wait 30 seconds or the the event doesn't do their due diligence to introduce them. You know, it makes me yeah. crazy either way. So it's a pet peeve. It's a serious it, faux pas, stage faux pas. Yeah. And what I love is you know, talking about the luau is you'll be backstage <laughs> talking to people. You, you know, you'll be off in your own world talking to people. And and I'll walk up and go, JD, it's time. And it's like you just flip a switch and you're and you're a totally different person. <laughs> and you walk out there, introduce the act, walk back off, and then you're just back into it, it's seamless. It's like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's uh it's it's an honor to bring on friends and amazing when they're so talented. And when you can introduce somebody and you know that there's somebody out there that hasn't seen them and you can just, you go, eh, you're, you're, you're about to be amazed. You don't know it yet, but you're going to be impressed here in about five, four, three, you know. Yep. Just like that stuff. So, uh, Hey, I want to, I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions, but first uh, okay. I got I, going back to radio Margaritaville. I had one question I forgot to ask you. Did you ever, so uh, my introduction to so much of this world was through the old happy hour show from new Orleans Yeah, that, uh, that, 
Brett Brown and Sheila and Greg she, did. Smith, um, yeah. Did you ever participate in that at all? No, that was, that, was, that was before my time. Originally, when it first started out, it was live. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it went to, I don't know, bursting bubbles, but they would record it on a Thursday. So we were more under, once we got established as serious, you know, we had to be tighter and Steve was forced to force the pre-record and then edit and stuff like that. Um, of course you can't shut up Brett Brown and uh, don't get, we get deputy Dumas started. You're, you know, yeah. good luck shutting him up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying this cause I love him, you know? Um, but no, I was never part of that, but I enjoyed it because, you know, those, all, all those guys came to be my friends and it was, I'm sad when it was, I was sad when it disbanded and I was sad of course for the loss of the cafe. Yeah. I didn't know that if you was ever got icon- the- iconic. Yeah, I didn't know if you ever got the pinch hit for that or not, you know, at some yeah. point. So, yeah, it, but it, you're right. It's funny to me. I remember before I before when I, I was a par- in a Paradise club in Arkansas. But before I ever went to Party Girl, I, I remember listening to that show. And then like 10 years later, two of the stars of that show were friends of mine. It, it was weird. <laughs> it's weird to think back on it now that, you know, I knew I was listening to Sheila and Greg before I ever knew them. It, it's just strange. Yeah. So good people. Again, again, just another example of great people. Yep. Yeah. So uh, let's let's do the rapid fire questions. Shoot. Here, this might be easy, or it might not be easy for you. Oh boy. What is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? I hate that question. Um, it's not volcano. We know that. It's not what you know. That's up. No. Um, it's it's it's. I think, oh, man, it changes with my mood. I think, but there's usually okay. I, uh, you can, you can throw out three or four. I'm going up because they they changed over the years. My first favorite jimmy buffett song was uh was a steve goodman song uh you want to guess which one uh banana republics that's it i love that song i just thought it was so so uh islandy and you know i just imagine you could picture it a, a good song you can shut your eyes unless you're driving and picture it so that was one of the songs but then it wasn't a steve goodman song i mean it wasn't a G- jimmy buffett song no knock on steve by the way that's a guy i wish i had met oh my goodness wow i'd love to have met steve Goodman. Um, so that was probably my first, but you know, I, I'm not saying I don't even know if that's on the uh, 1985 songs you know by heart. It's probably not, not. No. Um, but it's it was one of the more popular ones. But after that, once I first first actually owned an album, my very first favorite song was, of course, off the best album ever. My first. You always you never forget your first love. Off Living and Dying Three Quarter Time, West Nashville Grand Ballroom Gown. That to me is the perfect. It's like Jimmy had enough words to make a full song in, in four four time, but then took it down to three quarter time and got rid of the junk. It's like every syllable lands. It's just it's to me it's the perfect written song. I mean, you could say the same thing about death death of an unpopular poet, which of course blew Dylan's doors off. But it, to me, it's like the perfect because it, it it paints such a picture. You know, it's it's like the it's like the Chuck Berry. What was it? Uh, I don't remember. I don't want to get who gave the credit. Um, Keith Richards was talking about the Chuck Berry song and he mentioned the line, you know, Chuck Berry has a line, uh, coffee colored Cadillac. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, that's, you cannot say those words and not see that vision in your head. Mm-hmm. And to me, West Nashville, Grand, Grand Ballroom Gown is the same thing. Standing on the highway, uh, standing on the side of the highway four exit. Okay. I got it. A lady in tie dye bag by her side. Okay, not really look like anything special. So as soon as she tags and wait for her, holy crap, I can see it. I can see every syllable. And to me, it was yep. a perfect, perfect song. And I, I think Jimmy should put out an album of just his three-quarter time stuff because 
he and Matt just that's that an interesting concept. And then it would have to be probably the one I have now, um, "Off Banana Wind." The the only song that Jimmy, I think, yeah, the only song Jimmy wrote out by himself on that album was "Banana Wind." Yeah, "Banana Wind." Um, False Echoes. Oh wow, that's deep right there. Yeah, it's the song he wrote for his dad. Um, again, it, it's in three quarter time, and uh, he lost his he lost his father to Alzheimer's. I lost my dad. I'm going to tear up here. I lost my dad to Alzheimer's, and uh, waltzing on memories while he fades like a flare just gets me every time. You know, oh, so that wow. was, and that's like a seven minute song, and you're only going to hear it on Radio Margaritaville. Yeah, and it's just such a just a beautiful beautiful song. You know, tribute to his dad. Well, that's impressive. That's a that's a deep cut right there. So yeah, find it, yeah. listen to it. You know, I, I actually I want to I give you a quick story. I had something in my eyes. Like, damn it! If I could just if I could just get myself to tear up, I put on the song and uh, washed whatever was out of my eye. You know, I let, I let it flow <laughs> over me. Kind of like, so it's just a, it's just it's that's the thing that Jimmy can do is put words together to just blow your doors off if you're in the right mood. Yep. I think I may add a new question to the rapid fire. I, I may start asking what's your least favorite Buffett song. That could get fun. Hmm. I got that one too. It, yeah. It's not Volcano. <laughs> oh, okay. Now you got to answer what, what, it, what would it be then? The video is fun, but what, what's the uh, too drunk to karaoke? Oh, yeah. What a sorry, Jimmy. What a. <laughs> I think the way I heard it, and I don't quote me on this, but Jimmy said it's Toby with Toby Keith. Mm-hmm. I think the way I heard it was, and they've done so many cool things together, but I understand that Jimmy turned down Red Solo Cup and kicked himself for doing that. He yeah. didn't say no to Alan, you know, five o'clock somewhere, but he turned down Red Solo Cup. That's the way I hear it. And so the next thing that Toby offered was uh, Too Drunk to Karaoke. And he jumped and, on it. And he jumped on it like a grenade. Um, <laughs> and, and, of course, Jimmy has been asked to get off the stage drunk while karaoke in his own song. Uh, but, that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that song. The video is fun. And I like Toby and, I, you know, yeah. against Jimmy. Sorry, boss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Favorite moving cocktail? On. <laughs> um, Straight whiskey. I, yeah, I, I, like, I, like, I like the brown, you know. Um, you know, if you see me with a drink in my hand, I'm drinking. It's usually, you know, bourbon on, on ice kind of thing. All right. It, yeah. So, uh, Kenny Chesney or Bob Marley? Oh, man, that's that's it's kind of a no-brainer. And I think it's very funny that that uh, one margarita, uh, Luke, Bryan, uh, Luke Bryan, who just won the video, male video, of the, he threw all three in. He threw Jimmy. Do you know the song I'm talking about, right? I, do, I, I know the song, but I don't know it. You know. Uh, he mentions all three artists, you know, uh, Buffett. And, you see, it uh, starts with Buffett. You know, he, start, he starts with Buffett, then moves to Marley, then moves to Kenny, talking about, hey, pour a drink and put, throw that song on, yeah. which is which is perfect because that's, as a DJ, that's how I would DJ a party. You play Jimmy when people are, you know, getting, you know, happy and poolside. And when people start getting drunk, reggae is beautiful to play. And then you put Kenny on for the party, you know, yeah, uh, for getting the naked pool party part. Um, so I'd have to go with Marley hands down just because he's freaking Bob Marley, you know, and he is I've, Bob I've, Marley. He is Bob Marley. Uh, I've never met Kenny, but uh, no disrespect. I, I haven't even seen him live. Don't hate me, but I have never seen I've seen him perform live. But I've never seen a Kenny Chesney show. Yeah. I, I did about 15 years ago. It's been a long time since I've seen him. So 
Yeah, yeah. Anyway. And he's one of the ones I I would love to see. Along All with right. Garth Brooks, I'd love to see one of his shows too. Yeah, that's that's on my bucket list for sure. <laughs> Call so, me when uh, you go. I'll go. I'll go with you. I'll be your. Uh, I'll be your. I'll be your third wheel. All right, deal. You're a Florida native. So, what is your favorite beach? Man, um, but I guess I'd have to. Okay, uh, in Panama City. There's a state park just west of there, about 20 minutes, called Grayton Beach, and it's a beach that we um, that we went to as a family vacation. Uh, so it would be Grayton Beach, Florida. There, I'm a Gulf baby. I love the Gulf. Uh, so Grayton Beach. All right, and uh, what is a this is kind of a weird one, but I think it says it's kind of a window into who you really are. Uh-oh. What is a, a book that you think everybody should go check out and read? Damn, son. <laughs> um, I, I, if you're any subject, any topic, fiction, nonfiction, the Tao of the, the Tao of Pooh, the Tao of Pooh. Yeah. Taoism is explained through Winnie the Pooh. Um, that's a great one. Um, does that I'm a, exist? I'm a, yeah, it does. There's, there's a, the Tao of Piglet and the Tao of Pooh. Um, I like, I like, uh, I'm, I'm really into uh, to Mark Twain. And I've, I've, I've done, I've read a lot of books through Jimmy Buffett because he mentions stuff, you know, uh, uh, Wind, Sand, and Stars. I read because, you know, Jimmy references it. Um, I read Following the Equator by Mark Twain. The, the, I, you know, if you're a Jimmy Buffett fan, that's a book you need to read. I mean, there's actually two books, yeah. but it's just f- fantastic. I just, I just love the way it's written. And you forget when it was written because you know, he's talking about taking the bullet train that went 10 miles an hour. And you go, oh, crap, that's right. That's, was, we're talking back in the you know, early 1900s kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Mark Twain wrote that when he was like 60. He had to pay off debts. And instead of just going bankrupt, he did a world, worldwide tour. You know, and then wrote about it along the way. But that's an awesome book. All right. And uh, here, this one ought to be fairly easy. <laughs> I, in fact, I think I know what you're going to say. Your, uh, your favorite full-blown Buffett album? Well, have to be, of course. You know what? Uh, my full, I don't, okay, that isn't, yes. Living and Dying in Three-Quarter Time, of course. Best album ever. But as far as, as one that I would wear out, I used to wear out the Beaches, Boats, Bars, and Ballads, the Ballads disc. I would put that CD on, can't do that. You can't put a, a vinyl on random. <laughs> put the CD on random, and I'd sit out in my hammock and just let, let it just flow over me because I really love his ballads. That, I, when I own the box set, I haven't, I lost my copy a long time ago, but yeah, that was my favorite disc in the box set uh, as well. Fantastic. Ballads, so. Yeah. Um, the live, want live version of it, the 2010 encores, kind of the same thing because it's all final good nights. They're not all ballads, but a lot of them are. So it's kind of a live version of it. Yeah. Still, the, the ballads disc is just fantastic. All right. And here's the big one. If you could name, uh, if you could build a Mount Rushmore of independent trap rock artists, four people, who would that be? Who would be on your Mount Rushmore? Isn't the highway do this sir uh, and channel 56 the highway does their mount rushmore I'd drop rock artists on mount rushmore is that what you're asking me yes well uh, i think jerry diaz would have to be up there twice no just once <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's the godfather you know I, he just kind of kind of earned the spot um so I, he would have to be one of them um 
it sounds like I'm doing a, a sentimental favorite, uh, but I think Jim Morris deserves uh, his head up there. Um, you know, he wasn't the best singer. He wasn't the best writer, but he did those things well. And as far as putting as putting trap rock on the map, you know, his whole fish head studios thing, you know, you know, I don't know if you ever made it to his studio. I didn't know really close to the, the navigator um, down in that, that way, but it literally hit a, hit a whole room with a sound room and adjacent to it was a um, shed pushed up to it. We had t-shirts and yeah, he was, he was, you know, you know, like, like he was his own, he was his own Adela, you know? He, he, yeah. He had a business model. He had a business model and that's kind of what you need. To, it's hard for an artist, especially a good one to bang their own drum, but he did it well without being ostentatious about it. So he, he would, he, uh, I think he said, I think he set people up for success by following what uh, he does. Yeah, I have. Yeah, so I think I'd have to. I think I definitely have to give him a slot. Man, um, I mentioned James White earlier. Man, there's, I mean, there's so so many good. I mean, damn, can you have a Jason Mountain? Yeah, we, there, we can. I mean, yeah, we can. We can add somebody. You know, we can. <laughs> we can squeeze. I like. I like the guys. There. I like the guys that were there in the beginning that kind of helped along the way. And I get. I guess James James White earns a spot. Not because he does so many. Th- he's like our Mac McAnally. That's a really yeah. good. Descri- that's a really good description of James. Yes. I mean, if you've ever seen the Water Tower show at the end of Meeting of the Minds down at the Blue Heaven. Yeah. He 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 would stand this. He would stand like Mac does. Mac would rather stand back and make anybody look better. And James will do that for everybody. Um, and he can write a silly flying monkeys thing, but he can really write good stuff too, you know, and he's uh, not that the monkey song isn't, <laughs> but I mean, he's, and he's such a good guitar player and he's such a nice guy and he really takes everybody by the arm. Um, so he's, he's a great guy. So I think he probably earns a spot. So we got, like, there's only one more spot, right? We got Jerry Diaz, Jim Morris, James White, and I'd like, I, I want to put a lady up there. Because I mean, the females in trap rock, I think sometimes really get overlooked, and there's so many great ones. So how do you choose? And more coming in every year. Yeah, well, thank goodness. You know, um, I, I think music as well as radio just has a you know has a gender gap and a glass ceiling that I think luckily the the women of the, of uh, our our profession are just kicking it down. You know, I mean, Drop Dead Dangerous is a great example of that. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and I kind of want to leave a space open because Trap Rock is so young. I'd hate to run out of stone because I think there's so many future artists coming. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, think- you know, so we can just talk about this for a minute. Donnie Brewer's been around for like almost six years. Is six years enough to put you on Mount Rushmore? Yeah, he of course he crossed my mind, and he does a lot of what you know. He's like a he's a great. James White up and coming, you know, and, and, and Donnie, his skills are not only, you know, writing and performing, he's a great performer and lifting people as well, but his production skills, I mean, if you've ever seen him on Pro Tools, it's just, it's like, yeah, it's amazing. It's insane. He's like, yeah. it's an octopus working. It's fantastic. And that's not an easy program. Um, so he, you know, he, he deserves us. Yeah. Um, but I would really, if I have to put, if I have to, if we have chisel in hand, we're going to lose the space, use it or lose it. 
Uh, I, I really need to put a female up there. Um, you know what? Christy Bobble. Ooh, look at you. Yeah. She, um, she, she, she's, she, I think she's the first Trump rock female artist that I saw that really touched me. And, and she was singing, of course, with her husband, Paul Paul. Her right. fellow's just fantastic. But the way she supports him and, uh, she just you can tell she she shows how she feels on stage all right so yeah that's jd spradlin mount rushmore mm. jerry diaz jim morris james white and Kirsty bobble that's yeah, a good one with, with, that's a, a, good with one. a list with a list of of uh runner-ups that just is off the chart yeah coley what? you know coley heather just you know yeah Coley, uh, I mean, she hadn't been around that long in the big, a, big scheme of things. But I think yeah. Coley, you know, as as part of the team that puts the luau on, mm-hmm. and now you know this is a year two of the girls just want to have rum show in Key West. <laughs> yeah, so, Lindley, Heather. I mean, you know, all yeah. those females are just fantastic. Michelle, Michelle Becker, who you know, yeah, yeah. started Michelle TRMA. Works. So yeah, yep. Um, yeah, this. I think it's cool that it's hard to find. I'm glad this is a hard decision because there are so many talented people in this pool to choose from, you know? Yeah. Yep. It's a fun question. I, I've really enjoyed asking that question. Some at the end of this pod. So like, this is not a forever podcast. My, my goal is to do 101 episodes. It's Trap rock 101, 101 episodes. Mm-hmm. And at okay. the end, at the end, I'm going to add all this up. I was going to ask you who, everybody. Who, 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 yeah. Eric, curious. Eric Babin is actually, I think keeping a running total, but, uh, I, I'm I'm not gonna add it up till the end. So oh, Eric Erdman, yeah, you got just some wrong. Eric Erdman, of course, Tom. Oh, damn. Uh, Howard Livingston, go. Scott Kirby, who was down in Key West when we visited him. You know, I mean yeah. just it, it, so many great It goes people. on and on and on. So on and on and on. Yeah. Well, JD Spradlin, thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed this and uh I appreciate you doing it. And uh yeah. sorry if we babbled if I babbled and went long. Oh, this <laughs> it's fine, man. I think I think a lot of people are gonna enjoy this. I think uh I think a lot, of, like I said in the beginning, I think a lot of people who are used to hearing you one minute at a time are going to enjoy hearing <laughs> JD Unleashed off uh, the clock. No, so. give, me, give me on a stage with a mic and then it's unleashed. Then it's, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been doing stuff on stage and look out and people are going, huh? I said, like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, well, thank you much, man. And uh, I'll see you, at the, see you at the Luau in a few months. So. Oh, I don't think I'm going to be at this one. Ah. Yeah. You know? Okay. So maybe down yeah. the down the road. I'm, down I'm the looking road, forward man. to when I can finally. I'm, I'm not going to meeting the minds this year. The QS. It's yeah. killing me. It's killing so. me. All right. Well, whenever I see you, I see you. Thank you much, my friend. Our paths will cross soon, my friend. Later, All done. All right.